Hey everybody, thank you for tuning in. Uh, today we have a cool topic that we are going to talk about. And actually this is a topic that I wanted to address for a while because I like to talk about uh, psychology and about getting jacked. But um, I always try to find ways in which we can combine those two topics and uh, kind of talk about them at the same time or find connections between those two areas. And uh, today I have a cool guest, Richie Hederman. I've had a chance to meet Richie a few times before in uh, conferences and um, things of that nature, uh, but this is the first time we are talking in this kind of setting. And um, yeah, first of all, maybe Richie, just uh, give a general background about who you are and what people should know about your resume. Okay, so uh, me and Abel actually know each other um, through a few of the members on the Boeesian Research and Development Team, which is led by Menno Henselmans. Uh, my background is in sports coaching and management, so I basically run a bricks and mortar gym in my home country of Ireland, and I mainly specialize in training fighters and um, bodybuilding, so general health, fitness and fat loss, and when I am not turning people into champion fighters or making them look absolutely gorgeous, I am doing research with the Boeesian research team to help further the health and fitness field and promote education for um, health and fitness and bodybuilding. That sounds like it sounds good. So um, this time we are going to, to uh, delve into your um, accumulated knowledge on a really cool topic, as I just mentioned. So um, maybe, I don't know, to make a really lame segue, how did you get interested in the first place in this topic? Like uh, when did you start digging into the relationship between uh, mental health and exercise. Okay, well, um, I actually covered the topic of uh, aerobic exercise and strength training uh, in my dissertation for my final year degree in sports coaching and management. And uh, the reason that I got interested in it was that exercise has mainly been thought of as a purely physical element, the same way that mental health and mental illness such as depression and bipolar disorder has usually been thought of as a purely uh, emotional and psychological element and the more you actually research it the more you find that the two are intertwined that both have very very physical and very very heavy emotional and psychological properties that can be exploited to help each other so for my dissertation, I started looking into exercise and its impact on mood. And sure enough, I was very much into strength training and weightlifting around the time. And surprise, surprise, there was no research on weightlifting or nearly no research on weightlifting and mood and mental health. So um, comparatively to aerobic exercise. So I started getting interested in that and around 10,000 words and a dissertation and graduation later I'm still very interested in how exercise and different types of exercise and nutrition can impact mood and mental health and be used to manage prevent and treat mental illness yeah so it's something that um, I think a lot of people have heard about anecdotally that uh, generally people who are more active are also mentally healthier that if you are going for walks and do things like that then you will be at a greater a chance of just having a healthier mind as well. Uh, I think there's the Latin saying, ooh, I don't want to butcher it, mens sana in corpore sano. Something mens sana like in corpore sano. That one, yeah, yeah. So sound body, sound mind or something like that. A healthy body and a healthy mind. That's the one, yeah, yeah. See, I'm not, I'm not just a pretty face, Abel. You stick with me, you might learn a thing or two. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, so um, 
and and it's really cool that you actually dug into stuff that is um, discovering the relationship between lifting weights or just doing things that would get you jacked and how that impacts um, getting healthy mentally. So before this call, we actually had a, an offline chat about this topic and you used some really wow. cool analogies to kind of outline the general relationship. So maybe you could rehash that for the listeners as well. Like what is it generally that we should know about mental health and exercise? Okay, well, in this podcast, I'm going to kind of run through what I suppose could be called the Vogue mental illnesses, uh, which would be depression, bipolar disease, anxiety, and then age-related illnesses like Alzheimer's and dementia. These are the topics that are kind of getting an awful lot more research lately and where there is a, a fairly strong body of research on. So, like I said in the beginning, an awful lot of people think of mental illness or mental health as a purely emotional and environmental thing. If you feel sad, you need a hug and to talk to somebody. They are incorrect. These issues are just as structural as how big your muscles are, how healthy your heart is, and how much plaque is in your arteries. So, for example, if you look at the brain, it is essentially like a giant road network. The neurons act as roadways and the action potential, which is a geek way of saying the electrical currents that run through the brain to communicate with different cells, it basically acts as cars on the road. So different areas of the brain would emphasize different elements of your emotional and psychological state. For example, areas like the hippocampus basically act as your giant USB stick. They are the memory center of the brain. Meanwhile, the amygdala is a part of the brain that controls emotion and emotional processing. Meanwhile, you have areas like the nucleus acumens, which controls how much happiness or reward you feel. Uh, you have areas like the prefrontal cortex, which really helps shape your, uh, your uh, personality, aspects of your personality. And then you've got areas like the parietal lobe, which actually affect uh, memory retrieval. So when you are affected by bipolar disease, depression, uh, anxiety, Alzheimer's and dementia, you see some very, very real structural changes. Parts of the brain get smaller, parts of the brain get bigger. Uh, certain roadways, if you want to keep with the analogy of the, uh, the neural pathways and roadways, they actually start to break down and all that traffic that is going through the roadways, they have to find somewhere else to go. Or, in some cases, they actually can't go anywhere. And this is what leads to areas or issues like depression, Alzheimer's, dementia. And this is what leads to parts of the brain, or is at least part of what leads to the parts of the brain, breaking down and becoming less functional. Right. Yeah, so um, I, I guess it's, it's useful to put it into that perspective. It kind of demystifies maybe some of the stuff that is going on in our minds. And, uh, I mean, I, I guess we can delve into that later, but... I'm not sure how this is mutually exclusive with uh, sort of uh, emotional therapies or kind of a more uh, kind of soft science-y approach to treating kind of mental problems. I guess both of them have their place, but maybe the way the listeners can picture it is that treating someone's bad mood, as simple as something like that, is still possible if all of those physiological things are going against you, but maybe they can just be great, greatly enhanced if the physio physiology part of the equation is, is being taken care of. Yeah, and if you do look at an awful lot of cognitive uh, behavioral therapy, um, there was one meta-analysis that actually showed that exercise outperformed cognitive behavioral therapy in treating issues like depression. So if you look at something like a virus, a cold, a flu, 
Abel, if I told you I'm going to treat your flu by sitting down and talking to you, what would you say? Um, take a hike. I am goddamn insane, yeah? Yeah, pretty much. That is because you cannot talk away a virus. Now, managing stress, managing your emotional state, will that help recovery? Hell yes, but... If the issue is physiological, you are going to need a physiological response, correct? Absolutely. There we go. That's why I like you, Abel. We're only 10 minutes in. You're already agreeing with me. <laughs> but basically, that the more you actually study the molecular processes of depression, bipolar disorder, anxiety, Alzheimer's, you all get, you get the impression that these are very real physiological structural issues that without a physiological structural response, there is only really so much that emotional well-being and care can do to help the issue. Right. Cool. Um, okay, so the listeners are hopefully sold on the idea that we need to take care of the hardware component of all of this before we actually um, can even hope to get results from something like uh, behavioral therapies or journaling, the, these kinds of stuff, which are all valuable. But yeah, so uh, what would be a good place to start? So maybe we can talk about the types of exercise that that we are talking about or we can delve into specific type of um, like pathologies, mental issues, what would be a good place to start? Uh, okay, so I suppose we'll explain structurally what happens with each main mental illness and then we can go into how exercise can help and then how each different exercise could help and which might be better. Sounds good. Okay, so first of all, we'll look at depression. This is probably one of the more prevalent uh, issues with uh, mental health. It's estimated that it will affect around 300 million people worldwide, although that could be higher because depression often doesn't get diagnosed. Um, and then on top of that, just because someone isn't suicidal, it does not mean they're not depressed. So judging uh, depression based off suicide rates is uh, sketchy at best. So um, basically... While women seem to be statistically more inclined to be depressed, men are actually around three and a half times more likely to be suicidal. So there's an uplifting topic for the two male speakers on this podcast. There we go. Um, however, there might actually be a physiological reason for this as well. As we know, uh, hormones like estrogen actually have neuroprotective properties, which means they actually help protect those roadways that we were talking about earlier on, which means they're slower to decline and slower to be damaged, whether by mental illness or just by age. So, as I said before, these mental illnesses have very real structural changes in the brain. Now, whether the illness causes the structural change or whether the structural change causes the illness is far, far more difficult to actually ascertain. But either way, the two are associated with each other. For example, in depression, uh, we actually see that the memory center, the hippocampus, so whatever way you want to visualize it, be it the, the books, the book store in your brain or the USB stick in your brain, the part that actually stores all that memory, that is actually smaller and less well-developed in humans with depression than it is with healthy individuals. Um, the interesting thing is, and this will actually segue us into conventional therapies like antidepressants, areas like the nucleus acumens, which like I said is the reward center of the brain, the part of the brain that we use to feel good about ourselves, that actually has an increase in a signal called brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which is basically a signal that's sent to that area of the brain telling it to increase the amount of roadways or neurons in that part of the brain. So imagine if I told you that we had a city and the library was falling apart. Meanwhile, the city hall was as good looking as it could be. Yet you were devoting all your attention to building the city hall further and leaving the library to fall down. Not the best idea, right? Yeah. 
Yet that is exactly what happens if we actually use something like selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, which your listeners will know as Prozac or antidepressants. These are basically used to block a certain hormone or neurotransmitter known as serotonin in the brain and keep serotonin in circulation. The reason for this is because uh, increased serotonin has actually been shown to have an antidepressant effect. The problem is, is that if different parts of the brain are responding differently to the same illness, then using the same treatment across the brain globally may not elicit a good response for one part of the brain, whereas it may elicit a beneficial response to the other part. Let me put it to you this way. If there was a neighborhood full of good, productive people and you had one house that was harboring a criminal, right? taking conventional antidepressants is like carpet bombing the entire neighborhood just to get the one house that has the criminal living in it. Mm-hmm. Not the best idea. Not really. Whereas exercise such as aerobic training and resistance training has actually been shown to have a far more locational specific effect and this is one of the reasons that it may prove to be more beneficial than conventional antidepressants such as in one study uh, by I think it was Babiak and colleagues where they actually compared uh, aerobic exercise to antidepressants and found that aerobic exercise actually outperformed aerobic or antidepressants. And it even outperformed a combination of exercise and antidepressants. So training on its own, exercising on its own may actually be more beneficial than if you were to take both antidepressants and exercise or just take antidepressants alone. Wow, that's crazy. So, so how, how, would you, how would you explain that? Like what kind of uh, changes does uh, exercise elicit? So I, I heard, for example, that exercise, uh, I think I actually heard that especially lower body exercise um have has some specific anti-inflammatory type of impacts uh have you heard anything about that yes that's a good point double you're not just a pretty face either ah um so basically yeah uh there has actually been research showing in bipolar disease that people with schizophrenia and bipolar disorder actually have an impaired oxidative defense system and that is another geeky way of saying that essentially their way of fighting inflammation is actually impaired compared to healthy individuals Hmm. likewise in depression um oxidative stress and inflammation has been shown to have a pro-depressive effect so yes can inflammation increase depression it's been shown to be associated with it so it's definitely a key player another key player is the amount of signals that are sent with exercise so exercise has been shown to increase signals known as brain derived neurotrophic factor and vascular endothelial growth factor These are just fancy ways of saying that exercise can help improve brain matter development and can also help improve uh, blood vessel development, known as angiogenesis. So basically, if you exercise, you can help your cells actually develop in the brain and you can also help increase the amount of blood vessels that you have, which can improve the amount of nutrients that are getting to certain cells, including the ones in the brain. So on top of having a direct signal that will tell the brain we need to improve the amount of nerve cells that we're developing, that we're generating, we also have another signal that is telling them we need to improve the blood vessels into that area of the brain, which is improving nutrients there. So to use the roadway equivalent, it's the equivalent of building more roads to help reduce traffic on any given road and help make sure that more cars get to their destination faster and more efficiently. You follow? I follow. That's that's amazing. So, uh, yeah. So, in terms of depression, this can help. In bipolar disease, uh, there's a lot less research on exercise and um, how it can help mood stabilization. Because as we know, bipolar disorder is characterized by mood swings. It can be uh, jumps in aggression and it can be bouts of depression. So, 
there has been some uh, showing some studies showing that uh, exercise might actually help bipolar depression. But one of the confounding factors with bipolar depression is it's not the same for every individual. Some people exhibit more depression. Some people exhibit more aggression. And this actually reflects in how the brain is structured here. Some show smaller amygdalas, which as we know, the emotional processing of the brain. So it would stand to reason that if the part of the brain that processes emotion is smaller, it will have less capacity to um, a, a, a smaller output capacity. Meanwhile, if it's bigger, it will have a greater output capacity. So mood could be amplified or it could be minimized, if that makes sense. Right, right. But some exercise has been shown to be uh, beneficial there too. And the main area of interest there is that different exercise, depending on the type of bipolar disease uh, that you're inflicted with, the type of exercise you choose, be it aerobic uh, and a calmer exercise or a much more aggressive and intense form of exercise, may actually benefit different forms of bipolar differently. Some may be beneficial and some may be detrimental. Very interesting. So typically when we talk about exercise, what, what is the most commonly studied? I'm assuming it's mostly aerobic exercise. You assume right, Abel, absolutely. There is a massive wealth of body of research on aerobic exercise and nowhere near as much on resistance training. Uh, however, this is the interesting thing. The research that has been done on resistance training seems to show that it is either as good or far better than aerobic training, at least in terms of treating and managing depression. So this is one area that I studied intensely for my dissertation, a, uh, a meta-analysis by North and colleagues in 1990. They basically looked at all types of exercise for mood and mental health, and they found that in the small studies where the small number of studies where resistance training took place, it had a three times roughly greater improvement or greater beneficial effect on depressive symptoms than aerobic exercise. And for what it's worth, when I carried out my dissertation, I did a crossover design looking at both uh, resistance training and aerobic exercise, steady state versus conventional resistance training. And I found the gross data actually supported that it was roughly around three times better for improving depressive symptoms uh, than aerobic exercise was. Wow. So while there is not as much research, the current research suggests that it is, it is either as good or more beneficial for uh, mood and mental health in terms of depression than aerobic exercise right and and just out of curiosity so if i mean as much as we can speculate like um where do you think the type of exercise that probably most of the listeners perform which is kind of the high volume bodybuilding type training like where does that fit in because i mean strength training all of that is not created equal either right Hell no, and I'm delighted you asked again. Uh, okay, there actually has been some more recent studies on this as to whether high or low intensity resistance training proves more beneficial or whether high and low volume training proves more beneficial. And for some of these, you had to dig into the actual full study itself. Um, but there was a study uh, by Pennings and colleagues, I think it was. And they actually, if you read the abstract, they say that they find that resistance training is actually no more beneficial than uh a control so doing nothing however when you read the study you find that that is only true because an awful lot of the participants who actually carried out resistance training did under two sessions a week uh -huh. so there does seem to be a minimum dose response for depression and it seems to be around two sessions per week meanwhile in a separate study they actually found that the same thing again high versus low intensity training high intensity being around 80 percent 1rm and uh, low intensity being around 35 percent 1rm the high intensity showed significant improvements over the low intensity so if you're doing the bodybuilding type training high volume relatively high frequency around two times or more per week and a high intensity 
then you are doing all the right steps to help your mental health as well as get jacked as hell. Right. And then uh, for people who are doing very high intensity, so like powerlifting style training, that mm -hmm. is probably the same type of benefits or? Most likely. And I think the reason for this is, is nitric oxide, which I'm sure some of your readers might know because they are shoveling in some supplements to help improve the amount of nitric oxide in their blood. So things like citrulline malate and uh, beetroot juice, all those things are meant to help promote nitric oxide. But exercise alone also does this. And there's actually research showing that the amount of nitric oxide released actually is dependent on the intensity of the exercise you do. Now, why does this matter? Because the signal that I mentioned earlier, vascular endothelial growth factor, the thing that helps um, signal more blood vessels to be created, that is actually highly regulated by nitric oxide release. So more nitric oxide in the blood by higher intensity exercise, more vascular endothelial growth factor released, which means greater angiogenesis or blood vessel creation, and hopefully greater nutrient delivery to cells that need it, like areas in the brain. Awesome. Um, so uh, one thing that just came to mind, I mean, you obviously dug into these studies and, and you looked at the designs, but, but probably a lot of people are wondering how much of these benefits could be attributed to just simply, for example, when people exercise, they just feel better about themselves and that improves their, their mood and potentially even things like depression or, you know, people who exercise also tend to eat better. Maybe they sleep more, engage in less, whatever, alcohol, drugs, smoking, that, that sort of stuff. How, how much do you think that could be a confounder? Uh, well, it possibly could. However, just because people are feeling better, that doesn't mean it's not causative. So, we look at, we know that uh, exercise increases brain-derived neurotrophic factor levels, We both aerobic and resistance training. We know that even supplements like fish oil tablets increase brain-derived neurotrophic factor levels. And then we know that brain-derived neurotrophic factor increases uh, nerve cell development, neurogenesis. So, yes, they may feel better, but it's it's a distinction without a difference because either way whether they're feeling better due to endorphin release, um, it, it's, it is mainly a distinction without a difference. Either way, you are increasing signals that can promote mental health and well-being. So whether you're feeling the immediate effects of that from an exercise session or the long-term effects of it through exercise and actual brain matter growth and development, which, uh, by the way, has actually been shown in some research. So they have actually isolated and shown that exercise can increase actual brain matter growth and actual hippocampal volume. So areas of the brain do actually get bigger with exercise. They have actually taken scans and shown that, that this is a physiological change that happens. It's not just more endorphin release and feeling good and walking on air. This is real. It's physical. Right. And I, I think what's also great about this is that, I mean, for example, you mentioned that some depressive tendencies are associated with just a less, um, I forgot the exact term, terminology you used, but just a lessened ability to just handle oxidative stress and that, that sort of thing. So, and, and I'm assuming it's not, I mean, it's not a complete black and white thing. It all moves on a spectrum. So, for example, someone might not show clear depressive tendencies, but they might have a slight impairment in that sort of thing. So, Basically, it means probably all people can benefit from exercise just as, almost as a preventative tool, right? Absolutely. And I think there was one study that actually showed that VO2 max levels was actually inversely related with um, a risk of depression. So the higher your aerobic fitness level, the lower your chance of getting depression. Now, read into that and to cause and effect how you want, but it's still another promoting um, factor, just like you said. Uh, plus, 
we have seen that across pretty much all types of uh, mental illnesses, bipolar disease, anxiety, Alzheimer's, dementia, that exercise, uh, aerobic and resistance training and supplements such as multivitamins uh, tablets and fish oil tablets can help either mood stabilization, can help reduce depressive symptoms, can even help improve uh, memory retrieval and cognitive function in people with Alzheimer's and dementia and um, can help uh, improve anxiety levels. So regardless of the mental illness, it exercise and uh, new, good nutrition can actually help improve and manage your symptoms. Perfect. Um, so you mentioned nutrition. Do you think this is a good segue to talk a little bit about that if you dug into that as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so again, going back to the physical element of things, uh, if exercise is helping to improve the roadways in your brain, the neurons, and is helping to improve uh, nutrient delivery to certain areas of the brain, then it only stands to reason that actually putting increased nutrients into the body could also help develop certain areas in the brain and help eliminate deficiencies, right? Yeah. And this is pretty much what research is finding that, like I said, across a wide spectrum of mental illnesses, fish oil and multivitamin and mineral tablets seem to be doing pretty well across the board. They have been shown to help mood stabilization in people with bipolar disorder. Uh, they have been shown to de uh, decrease uh, depressive symptoms and improve mood in people with depression, uh, as well as vitamin D. Vitamin D has actually been shown to help uh, upregulate uh, an amino acid called tryptophan, which is used in improving serotonin levels or generating serotonin, which, as I said, is one of the main neurotransmitters associated with uh, with um, good mood levels and, and antidepressive effects. And then in anxiety, then, uh, there has also been shown that good nutrition, uh, such as the Mediterranean diet, can actually help improve symptoms of anxiety. So, yeah, nutrition is basically a huge element to it. How big? I actually don't know because there doesn't seem to be quite as in-depth of studies into certain isolated nutrients and areas of the brain that have been impacted or even symptoms like depression or mania or anxiety. So it's not as vigorously studied an aspect, but as it stands, multivitamins and multiminerals and fish oil tablets seem to be basically good general starting points. Vitamin D for depression may also help as well. Um, this can basically be done through either supplementing or it can be done by oily fish or vegetables. I'm pretty sure the body doesn't care. However, for those who are super um, scrutinous of what method to use, the research has mainly used uh, supplement form. So tablets, multivitamins and fish oil tablets as too. Right. Um, based on, I mean, feel free to just, just say your own opinion or, or even just say if you, you don't know. Uh, but um, based on your understanding, like what type of diet would you speculate to be more beneficial in, in this regard? Like I've heard, like I've heard these kind of umbrella terms like high carb diets, a lot of insulin, all that kind of stuff is more inflammatory than lower carb diets, higher diets, diets higher in vegetables or have a lower inflammatory index than um, diets with less vegetables. Do you think anything of these con concepts? I think some of them are bullshit, if that's any help. Yeah, it, it is definitely of help. I mean, it's, Excellent. It, it's, so yeah. basically it depends, much like with any aspect of fitness and nutrition or any aspect where you're dealing with people. No, what happens is, is that, for example, uh, carbohydrates have actually been related to serotonin levels. Uh, they seem to have a positive association. So there would be good reasoning for most people to think that increasing carbohydrate intake might actually help uh, improve depressive symptoms by increasing serotonin levels. So that's first and foremost. So 
while it may be non-beneficial for people with type 2 diabetes, it might be very beneficial for people with uh, major depression. However, um, as I said, because there is not as much research, it's hard to actually give out a certain diet. What I can say is, is that the Mediterranean diet has shown some promising results for bipolar disorder and anxiety. However, this is usually just compared to a standard Western diet, which is pretty crap to begin with. It's like measuring Usain Bolt racing a turtle. Yeah, okay, Usain Bolt may very well be extremely fast, but the turtle wasn't great competition. You get me? Yeah. So for people who are looking for a certain structured diet, the Mediterranean diet is not a bad place to start. It does have a high level of micronutrients and omega-3s, which, as we've seen, can help in a wide range of mental health issues and just improve mood in general, as well as improve overall health. Um, but I would add caveats like maybe increasing vitamin D uh, and carbohydrate intake for depression may prove beneficial. Um, for bipolar disease, it's a lot harder to say because it's not the same for everyone. We have shown scans in bipolar disorder where some people have smaller amygdalas, the emotional processing uh, area of the brain. Some people have larger. So some diets may prove more beneficial. Some may prove less so that's an awful lot of a harder thing to call. The same with Alzheimer's and depression and anxiety. So as I said, maybe the Mediterranean diet because it's a nutritious diet. But honestly, any diet that is providing enough healthy fats, vitamins and minerals uh, and protein should be fine. Yeah, uh, I'm going to throw a term at you. And uh, <laughs> based on that, feel free to just, just say anything or just say that it doesn't uh, bring to mind anything in particular that could be interesting. Do it, Abel. Do it. I'm ready. Let's see it. Okay. Autophagy. Uh, yeah, okay, so the control destruction of cells. Mm -hmm. mm, yeah, okay, and I'm guessing in relation to the chat we had earlier, this is about intermittent fasting. Yeah. Yeah, okay, um, so there's an awful lot of vogue around intermittent fasting now lately, despite the fact that there's maybe, I don't know what, two, three studies that aren't just based on Ramadan that actually look at, say, lean gains, intermittent fasting or something like that. Um, Autophagy is something that is going to occur naturally anyway. There are a hundred different activities and nutrients that can upregulate uh, autophagy. Exercise upregulates autophagy. Fasting upregulates autophagy. Uh, certain nutrients can help the process of autophagy. So to look at any one singular process and say that this can help um, fix any multifaceted disease, whether it's bipolar disorder, obesity, depression, physical, mental, is stupid at best. Right. So, no, uh, autophagy, can it help? Uh, yeah, it, it may well do. I I can't see a reason why any proper functioning aspect of the body um, can't improve certain processes. And, and autophagy is present in areas like, uh, in, in cells like neurons and, and pretty, pretty much every cell in the body. So, it, yes, can it help? Yes. But I don't think that it is the one answer to any sort of problem. And I think anyone who looks at any one factor, including areas on depression, if you look at, you know, just... Uh, serotonin levels you get something like antidepressants which has I think a success rate of around 30% it's not a particularly successful form of drug and I would reason that the, the cause for that would be it is only looking at one factor mainly as opposed to a myriad of factors so autophagy is just another normal process in the body that a number of activities can help improve and it's it is what it is right um, another phrase I would throw at you yeah go for uh, it. coffee 
Ah, uh, yes. Okay, um, caffeine. Yeah, this is an interesting one because caffeine has been shown to improve or increase, I wouldn't necessarily say improve, but increase uh, aggression or anxiety. I haven't done an awful lot of research into how it actually affects different mental illnesses. Uh, I would imagine for people who suffer from anxiety, it is probably less than ideal. I would say the same for individuals with bipolar disorder, but the short answer is I actually don't know. I haven't done enough research on it. Right, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Um Okay, well, there was another thing. Uh, yeah, sleep. Yeah, sleep. Okay, this is uh, another big issue and one that, actually, surprisingly, I've relatively done uh, less research on compared to exercise and nutrition, considering how important it is for, uh, or how important it, it is supposed to be for mental health. Um, sleep is meant to be a major factor. Obviously, sleep deprivation has been uh, implicated in uh, neurotoxicity. So the way I said neurogenesis is the development and growth of certain uh, areas of the brain and certain neurons and neurotoxicity is degeneration of certain areas of the brain so yeah sleep deprivation has been shown to uh upregulate neurotoxicity uh i don't honestly know how it could affect mental health and mental illness i do know that um improving sleep and making sure you are not sleep deprived would be instrumental in improving mood so what i would say is there is no research to indicate that it is bad for you uh, all the research thus far has shown that it is good for you, so I, I can't add much new to the conversation, but I would agree with what most scientists are saying. Sleep deprivation, bad. Adequate sleep, good. Perfect. Um, okay, another thing we might uh, venture pretty far from uh, what we started off on, but maybe you've read something interesting about this, uh, sex? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've, I ha- in terms of mental health? Yep. No, I haven't actually. That would be a pretty dead topic. Um, yeah. I certainly enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, me too. It's weird, weird, weird how that works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a strange one, all right? But uh, no, it's, yeah, I, I've, I actually would be, that would be a very interesting topic because obviously there's there's elements like increased testosterone levels. Um, uh, so I, I don't actually know how it would affect mental illness. I'm, I don't know about many other people, but it certainly puts me in a good mood. Yeah, yeah. But no. Other than that, I've uh, no, I, I wouldn't have much to add in terms of how it might treat mental illness. I do know that depression can affect libido, so there is an associated factor there. Um, so yeah, there is a decrease in libido with depression. Uh, but other than that, no, again, not too much more to add. Yeah. Um, but one thing that came to mind um, mm-hmm. is just might be just a speculation, but just body fat levels in general. Like I, I've definitely heard that being overweight um, and high body, higher body fat levels is generally associated with higher levels of systemic inflammation. Um, I don't know. Maybe that could have an impact on, on just the general mental health. Not, I mean, not considering the self-image and that sort of uh, things, but just from a physiological perspective even. Yeah, yeah, and there's actually, it's very interesting because, uh, believe it or not, leptin, which, as we know, is a a hormone that's secreted from fat cells, it's where this whole area of uh, your set point of fat percentage theory that you're genetically predisposed to have a certain amount of fat, you know, I'm not a big believer in that, but it it was where that kind of came from. Leptin is a hormone that's secreted by fat cells, so the more fat cells you have, the more leptin you produce, and essentially, uh, leptin uh, resistance is something that has been found in obese individuals where they're essentially feeling hungry or leptin is, is actually meant to suppress appetite. So they're essentially feeling hungry despite having very high leptin levels. Yeah. But how this links into areas like mental health is leptin has actually been shown to have an antidepressant effect. Hmm. 
So you would think that people who are obese or overweight that they they would have uh, they'd be some of the happiest people in the world, yeah. but this isn't the case. Uh, and I would speculate that one of the reasons for this is leptin resistance. That um, there would be a certain area where leptin resistance would kick in and would actually the leptin essentially the leptin resistance is not only hurting their physique but also their mental health because the antidepressant effect of leptin is no longer taking effect. So that could then lead to a hypothesis that there is a certain range of body fat percentage or body fat levels that is healthy not only for physiological functions, uh, but also for mental health, because we do know that an awful lot of bodybuilders, when they get super lean for competition, their mood also tanks. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, that's actually one of the more interesting aspects, that leptin has actually been shown to have an antidepressant effect However, taking this too far can help either if you're going super lean can mean that you actually depress mood and increase your chances of mental health issues uh, or if you actually become overweight or obese or if you find yourself in a situation where you are overweight or obese, a leptin resistance may develop and the antidepressant effects of leptin actually dissipate. Uh, again, research on it would be fairly sparse but it's not a bad mechanistic um theory to look at the same thing with ghrelin ghrelin has actually been shown to have an antidepressant effect as well so you know the hunger hormone which is actually fairly counterintuitive that the hormone that is regulated by fat intake and the hormone that actually stimulates hunger are both shown to be antidepressive uh but yeah in in the small amount of studies the mechanistic studies that have usually been done on rodents uh, yeah there has been shown to be an antidepressant effect by both leptin and ghrelin so essentially it doesn't from a practical standpoint it doesn't actually really change what you would recommend that much staying in a healthy body fat range which for men can be pretty much anywhere from 10 to i think what 16 percent mm-hmm. um, and for women it's it's a slightly higher than that basically staying within a healthy body range will help improve the function of these hormones for mental health and will ensure that you know you, you stay healthy both physically and mentally right cool um perfect so um before we do kind of the wrap-up type of questions is there something interesting that we were going to cover but i didn't ask you about yet uh no not really i think we covered the vast majority perfect yeah so it kind of generally seems like um some of that might make sense intuitively uh like if you generally do the things that is going to keep your body healthy then you can hope for better better mental health as well but uh, as we went over uh, in this case, there are certain acute physiological effects that take place when you exert yourself physically. So I, I think that that's a really cool thing to keep for people in, in perspective. Um, so, for example, what would you recommend for me today? I'm kind of sleep deprived today. I'm kind of uh, irritable, kind of bitchy all day. Uh, would you recommend for me to just take it easy and um, just relax? Or should I go to the gym and... Um, have a good workout now to increase my chances of being less bitchy for the rest of the day. Okay, well, from a practical application standpoint, um, what I would recommend for yourself is getting more sleep. But I would, I would personally recommend exercising anyway, even in a sleep-deprived uh, state, because it can help offset some of the more catabolic hormones uh, and can help manage uh, cortisol levels and upregulate testosterone. So I do still kind of uh, recommend uh, training even in a sleep-deprived state and then try and fix the sleep deprivation and improve sleep. But from a practical recommendation standpoint, if you're looking to optimize your mental health with exercise and nutrition, 
The uh, nutritional aspect is fairly simple, fish oil tablets and multivitamin and multimineral tablets. If you're looking for a set diet, the Mediterranean type diet is not the worst place to start in terms of an exercise program. I would personally recommend resistance training, a minimum of two to three times per week at an intensity of around 80% and up. Uh, And if you really wanted to, I would also mix in maybe one to two cardio sessions a week. Mm-hmm. So from a practical standpoint, I think that would probably prove the most beneficial across the board in terms of um, helping prevent mental illness and helping to uh, maintain mental health as best as possible. Perfect. We have one, one final question that I, I forgot completely. Any kind of supplements besides fish oils that you read about as being potentially beneficial? For depression, perhaps vitamin D. Uh, that would mainly be it. So far, I haven't seen too much else. Creatine has also been shown to have a, uh, a beneficial effect on uh, on neuronal health. However, I haven't read up too much on that, so I'd be slow to recommend it straight off the bat. But it is a safe supplement. Uh, there's nothing against taking it. It will help you physically. So if you really back me into a corner, I would say on top of the fish oil multivitamins, maybe look at vitamin D and creatine monohydrate too. Awesome. Perfect. Um, cool. Uh, I think... Perhaps then this is a good place to wrap up, unless you have anything else to add? Uh, No, not at all. If you're uh, looking for any more information on exercise, nutrition, and mental health, you can always check out my blog. That's on uh, www.hurricanefitnessireland.com. You can follow me on Facebook, so Richie Hederman, uh, or on Instagram, which is Hurricane Fitness Ireland. Or you can log in and check us out on the uh, bioecianbodybuilding.com website and uh, follow the work we do there. Awesome. Perfect. So the listeners should definitely check out those resources. And now I will go and do some heavy squats to make myself less bitchy for the rest of the day. (laughs) Good to hear. (laughs) Hey, guys, I just want to tell you again that your inputs for this podcast will help it grow more than anything. And your requests, ideas and comments will contribute to awesome content going live on this channel and podcast more than anything. So if you want to contribute, the best thing you can do is to go on Facebook and look up Sustainable Self-Development. You'll find both the page and the Facebook group that is dedicated to discussions and ideas being thrown around. Go there and note down your comments about what kinds of topics or guests you want to be featured on this podcast and YouTube channel in the future. Just keep in mind the general theme of this podcast and my YouTube channel, which is to help people becoming their best selves in terms of lifestyle as it pertains to fitness and general personal development. This podcast is really dedicated to self-improvement, both physically and mentally. So keep that in mind. So thanks again for tuning in and see you next time.